Welcome to the Destiny Church 217 podcast, where we share the sermon of the week from Destiny Church. After the message, check out the show notes for links and more information on how to get connected with Destiny. Let's get into the message. We're going to take a little step away from our series in Romans for the month of September, and uh, we're going to talk about... um, our core values, which you should have received a card this morning when you came in that looked like this or looked like this. It's the same card, it's just different signs. So if you don't have one, please raise your hand and we're prepared to bring some by to you. And that's for you to stick in your Bible, to put on a, your refrigerator or so forth to remind you of what we are. Core values are important because they represent you know, those deeply held beliefs that authentically describe an individual or, or an organization. So, you're, so uh, we've got uh, three little bubbles, I think, here. So what happens is you have core values, whatever those are. This is, this is good for everyone. Whatever your core values are, that will dictate what your behavior is. If you really, really love your kids, you will have behavior that exemplifies that um, core value. And then it just creates a, a culture. Uh, the Munsons are with us this morning. Everybody say hello to Guatemala this morning. Praise the Lord. So we have, we have values, all of us, or a company has enunciated values, or a church has values, core values. Those core values will di- dictate the behavior of the church or the organization or your home, which then ultimately produces a culture. Values produce behavior, which results in a culture. So for us, obviously, the Bible is at the center of all that we do, which changes our behavior. Now, what's great about that, um, as you heard from Miles' testimony today about the church in Afghanistan, is that when you have core values and then you live by your core values, whether or not your prayer gets answered the way you think it should be answered, you always end up being the person you desire to be. The byproduct is that you are good with the results because you have a base in what you believe. Do you follow that? So that's what we're going to talk about here for a little bit. For us, our core values, our behaviors produce our culture. For us, our culture is a culture of honor, and that's an honoring God, an honoring men, and it produces a place of real, relevant relationship. So that's where we're going to take a break from Romans here for a little bit. I, it's really interesting that this is where this has fallen for us as I uh, put together our uh, sermon, our teachings for the year, because it's important for us to Every once in a while, revisit. You may not be able to see those over there, and that's why I've given you all the card, and you're going to have these available to you um, for the next three weeks, our core values. The first, well, each of them have words underneath them as you look at it, and those are quotes. Those, if you're reading the Red Letter Bible, those are quotes of Jesus, and that's important because he is our leader. Today, we're going to talk about this idea of living And the verse there is found in where? John 10, 10. The thief has come to kill and steal and destroy, but I have come that you might have life to live 
and not just regular old mundane life, but awesome life. And then each of those core values has a symbol. Aaron has designed a logo, a little icon. What do you call them, Aaron? Icon. Great. (laughs) That goes with each of those. And of course, the cross being the most important thing to us, it's everything for us. It's not a piece of jewelry. It's not a bumper sticker. Hello? It's not something you hang on your wall. It represents the death of our Savior and his ultimate resurrection. It leads to our beliefs and our actions, assures our inheritance. (laughs) You'll never, and for those of you that are not yet Christians, it's hard for you perhaps to get your mind around. Indeed, it is difficult. But those of you who are Christians, you can come along with me for a second in that you didn't quite understand all that was Christianity until you stepped over the line, right? Um, Because it takes faith to get saved. I can give you lots and lots of understanding. I can teach you lots and lots of scripture. I can give you answers to most of your questions, but to everyone who is questioning the gospel of Jesus Christ, there will be a question that you ask even the most learned scholar and they will not have an answer for you because if I can reason you into the kingdom, somebody that's smarter than me can reason you right out, right? So this is not about reason. We're called believers, not understanders, correct? So we ultimately understand after we step over the line of belief, putting ourselves in a position of what? Yeah, God needs me. No, you put yourself in a position of humility, right? That's how we come to, that's how we come to Christ is when we kneel at the foot of the cross. And then it's only then that we have the revelation of all that he has given us. True. So there's a story of a very famous preacher who was touring Italy. And as he toured Italy, he was told, well, actually, before he went, he was told by a good friend, you need to go to this particular town in Italy and go to this particular chapel. And in that chapel, there is a picture of the crucifixion, and you need to go see that. And the guy goes, really? And he goes, yeah. He goes, really, it'll change your life. And so the man on his tour of Italy went to this particular village, and when he approached the church, there was a... a a man standing outside the church and the pastor preacher walked up and he said to him, he says, Oh, you must be here to see the picture uh, the oil painting of the crucifix of the, the, the cross of Jesus, him dying on the cross. He goes, yes, I am. So he walked into this uh, chapel and it was on the wall and he was quite horrified in what he saw because what he saw was all you know what modern art looks like sometimes, you know what I'm saying? It was all disjointed and, and it didn't make any sense and was not all that his friend had told him it was going to be. And so um, a little bit bewildered, the, the gentleman who had invited him in said, come closer. And so the preacher walked closer. He says, no, 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 walk closer. And so the man began to walk closer and closer and closer until he got like right up to the painting and then the, the man said, no, now get a little bit lower. Get a little bit lower until the great preacher was down on his knees looking up. And at that, all the pieces of the painting came together from that perspective. He was overwhelmed in tears and realized that it's only when you come to the foot of the cross and you put yourself in a place of humility that you can truly see all of the life and abundant life that God has for you. So if you're here today and you've never gotten 
metaphorically, perhaps even physically, on your knees in front of who Jesus is, and you've humbled yourself, you humble yourself, Jesus, not me, but you. I need you. I am broken. I am undone. I am a wretch. I am a worm. I am absolutely, completely disgusting, except for your grace and mercy. Please come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. I accept that. And then what happens is the cross of Christ now becomes a very beautiful thing to you, a very glorious thing to you. And now you have an understanding because you first believed. This is how important this first step is for us because whether we purchase a building, whether we have a Wednesday night program for kids, whether we have a Bible study on Wednesday nights, whether we have youth group, whether we have nursery and kids zone and all these ministries of the church, they mean nothing because there's lots of churches that have those, but they don't have Jesus. There's people that go to church that will never understand the fullness of the cross because why they were never really challenged in their own sin. Because you got a bunch of preachers that aren't really willing to call sin, sin, because we're all good. We're all good. It's all good. No, you know, basically, basically man at their soul is good. I've heard this. No, you're not. Basically, at your heart, you're selfish. You are greedy. It's all about you and your way. How do I know that? Because that's how you came out of the womb. Me, mine, I want that. Elbowing your brother or your sister kicking them. When you got older, you just did it much more sophisticatedly. (laughs) And so we need to be reminded that in a place of humility at the foot of the cross, when all of that comes into focus for us, this is where we find our life. Not in a program, not even in leading your ministry or being a minister, not in coming to church, not in your prayer time, not in your Bible reading, none of that. None of that matters if you don't have a relationship with Jesus. There's going to be people that, that die and There's going to be be professors of Bible schools and seminaries that don't go to heaven because all the information never made the 18 inches between their ears down to their heart. That's the most difficult path for 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 the gospel to travel. It's not around the world. It's not across the street. It's the 18 inches from your mind to your heart. You get beyond your understanding and you come into believing and say, yeah, okay, I don't understand the ark. I don't understand the virgin birth. I don't understand the creation. I don't get valley of dry bones living. I don't understand how ravens bring a meal. I don't understand, I, I don't understand, but I'm gonna choose to believe that it's there. And when I choose to believe, I receive the revelation of the cross. That's what I'm challenging you to do today and what this church is really here for. Because if all we're here to do is to do good social things, well, then we should turn into the Lions Club and collect glasses. Praise the Lord for the Lions who collect glasses. That's great, but they're not the church. Our responsibility is to be the church. And when, when the shingle outside, whatever the, the name of the church is, and it has, I, we believe in the name of, if that isn't going on on the inside, the church should be sued for malpractice or for false advertising. And unfortunately, that's why I'm going to get to the sermon here in a minute. I didn't even start. <laughs> unfortunately, that's uh, unfortunately that's why a lot of people get disenchanted with the church is because deep in their heart they know they know what the church should be, and they walk and they don't find it. They turn around, and they walk out. I guess that is a bunch of hypocrites in there. No, we all are hypocrites. We all are broken. We are, that's why we're here. We're just smart enough to figure out that we are broken. So if you're a guest, if you're a visitor, you listen, you're amongst the other bunch of broken people who realize we need the cross of Christ. And the, the cross, to those who are perishing, it's foolishness to them. But to those who have been redeemed, oh my gosh, it's the most beautiful thing. So, praise the Lord. 
All right, so let's get started uh, talking about uh, the cross today. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the message of the cross is what? Foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. That's how we love. Our core value, number one, is to live and to live for Jesus. Philippians 1.21 says it like this. For me, to live is Christ and to die is, can you say it with me? Read it with me. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's say it again. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's what those kids said on that telephone call in Afghanistan when they came in and they murdered the church. For me to live is Christ. But I don't think that's how the world reads that. If they were to fill in the blank, for me to live is to be popular. Just look at their Instagram or their TikTok account. For me to live is to have more likes. For me to live is to have more friends. For me to live is to be popular. And to die, oh, that would be to lose my fame to put me in Facebook jail so no one would ever see what I get right again. No one would be privileged to my opinion anymore. That would be horrible. No, for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. There's going to be a, come a day when they kill you for your faith, thinking they're doing the world a favor. Boy, you're really encouraging us today, Pastor. Let me tell you, I'm just preparing you. Because if you're not prepared for this, if you think, if you think, if you think Christianity is a bunch of unicorns, you know, poop and glitter, whatever the kids say about that stuff, a bunch of unicorns or whatever, that, that's not the church, ladies and gentlemen. We have been the persecuted minority for millennia. We've had a pretty good ride the last couple of hundred years here in America. But guess what? It's all coming back. Let's get a little bit of sense of history here. For me to live is to be beautiful and desirable. Look at your magazines. Look at your ads. Just be good looking. Just lose that extra weight. Every one of us. <laughs> then people will like you and then you'll be beautiful and that'll be awesome. For you to live is to be desirable and beautiful and glamorous. That's what the world says. For you to die would be if you were humiliated and ugly and grotesque. That's not how it reads. For you to live is Christ. For you to live is to have all your desires filled. To die would be to give up your success and your dreams. I, I, I'd like you to read it one last time with me, Philippians. For me, to live is Christ. And to die is what? Gain. Like, I can refer back to, to Miles' example of the church in Afghanistan all morning long. But you know, at the, at the book of, uh, in the book of Hebrews where you have the hall of faith and the great cloud of witnesses and all of those who went on before, and what about David and what about Daniel and what about Abraham and what about Hagar, what about all these great saints? But then it says at the end of that chapter, it says, Acts, Hebrews, James, Acts, Romans, Hebrews. I'll just read it to you because I think it's so cool. By faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. On we go, on we go. And then there were those, and then, after all these people, these great people, at, then there were those who were commended by, the, by their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. For God had planned, here it is, verse 40 of Hebrews 11, something better. They received a better inheritance 
than all those others. Yeah. Only the new life that Jesus gives us is worth anything for us to live as Christ. Everything else is rubbish. Your new house, your new lawnmower, your new car, your new sewing machine, your new refrigerator, your new clothes, your new glasses, your new lipstick, your new hairdo, rubbish, 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 rubbish. Sorry. You may have really nice rubbish, but it's all rubbish. It's all rubbish. It's all going to burn. It's all going to go by way of the flames. What, va- what, what is of value is whether you're living for Jesus or not. Regardless of what country you live in, regardless of how beautiful you are, regardless of how much money you have, the most important thing is the cross of Christ being lifted in your life. So our number one core value is to live for Jesus. It's our primary directive. What is that? To live a life that honors the Lord and his sacrifice. John 10, 10. I've come that you might have life. I've come that you might have Zoe. That's the name of my puppy. I've come that you might have life. Zoe, that's the Greek word. And that you might have it what? To the full, I think, is what it says in the NIV. Some of us, other translations, abundant life. That you might have abundant life. Abundant life means to go beyond, to the full, by implication, excessive life. Beyond measurement, here it is, super abundant in quantity and superior in quality. Well, how is that possible if I don't have a X number square foot house and I'm still renting the two, a double wide and I, that's not even paid for it. My car barely runs or I don't even have a car and I'm behind on my payment of this and that. And that. Listen, I'm talking God has promised you a life that this plane of existence has no concept of. This is why Paul, though being flogged and beaten and chained to the floor of a prison, could still sing songs of hymns and songs of joy in the prison while being flogged. Because the peace, I'm getting way ahead of myself, because the peace that God has for us through the cross, man does not give it to us. This is why you can still smile when your house burns down. This is why you can still say, you know what? Oh, well, God's still on the throne. I don't understand it, but I'm going to choose to trust him. I'm going to choose to believe because I'm believing for a, for a kingdom whose builder and architect is the Lord God. That's where I'm going. My 80, whatever amount of time the Lord gives, this is just the, it's the preamble to eternity. This place, heaven, excuse me, earth, if you will, is the front step of heaven. It's only the entryway into your eternity. Your life is but a vapor, just a blip. That's all you are. I don't care if you live to be 100. It's just a blip. You will, I say, spend eternity. You don't actually spend eternity as if there's some sort of ending to, oh, I spent it all. No, when you say eternity, there is nothing after it because it always continues. You will be with him forever. And as my Lutheran heritage taught me, forever and ever, just in case you didn't know what forever was, (laughs) forever and ever, amen. Hallelujah. All right, I'm going to take a couple minutes. I'm going to go over these five things. To live with Jesus means the Lord is watching over you. You can write these down. The Lord is watching over you. You're no longer a child of fear. Strength and courage are your new DNA. You receive a deep peace, both heart and mind, and you discover your purpose in life. Who 
in their right mind would not, yes, you can take a photo of it, that'd be easier. Who in their right mind would not want that, right? These are the benefits of living your life for Jesus. So number one, the Lord is watching after you. I lift up my eyes, and, and Ryan, what psalm did you read earlier? Uh, 137. Here's 121. I will lift up my eyes to the hill. Where does my help come from? And by the way, David wrote this. He says, some people have really wondered why. Why did David say, when I lift my eyes to the hills? Well, because he was a shepherd boy all those years. And when Saul was chasing to kill him all of those years, he, head in the, he hid in those mountains. So I lifted my, lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? He's recalling, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He'll not suffer of my foot to be moved. He watches over me, will not slumber. Indeed, he watches over Israel, never slumbers asleep. Verse five, the Lord watches over you. The Lord is the shade on your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day. The moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. Verse eight. The Lord will watch over your coming and your for how long? Say forever and ever. Amen. <laughs> the Lord will watch over you. David knew this from the little shepherd boy. No one knew his name. He was out in the back until Samuel one day showed up and then all of a sudden, boom, he gets anointed to be king, but he didn't become king right away because Saul was still king. Saul wanted to try to kill him and David's on his run. For, God was watching over David every step of the way, even when he committed adultery with Bathsheba, even when he killed her husband. The Lord is watching over you right now, whether you're running for him in your coming or you're going. If you're running towards him, he's watching you. If you're running away from him, he's watching you. But he has these five benefits for you. Why do we run from him? Because we're selfish, because we're broken, because we're stupid. Right? To live with Jesus, number one, means that he's watching over you. He knows your bank balance. Why do you have to check it every day? He knows what it is. I, when I wrote this, I was very happy with myself because it shows how intimately God knows me and how he watches over. I wrote, he knows what irritates you, Eric. <laughs> right? People driving slow in the left lane. Anybody, can I get a hallelujah? Praise the Lord. The Lord is testing me because my horn doesn't work on my yellow truck. <laughs> and if you know anything about me, I'm a pretty good honker. I'm a polite honk. Beep. Like if you're slow on the green to take off, I'm not like laying on it like you're stupid. I just like you haven't noticed quick enough. So beep, beep. I'm a beep, beep guy. Like, beep, beep. Come on, hurry up. But if you're, if you're like playing on your phone, you get a little longer, right? But now my, mom, now my horn doesn't work. I'm ready to get a new car just to get a new horn. <laughs> The Lord says, no, I know what irritates you, Eric. We're going we're gonna to test you. We're going to try you. I haven't been able to honk for weeks and weeks and weeks. So I'm learning. I'm learning that he knows everything about me, including what irritates me. And he knows what brings me joy. All right? So number one, the Lord's watching over you. This is what you get as a, as a result of being a child of God. Number two, you're no longer a child of fear. You ever, everybody, like, they're afraid, you ever met somebody that's just afraid of their shadow? Everything. They're afraid of everything. Everything is going to kill them. Everything is going to hurt them. The, the sky is falling. The sky is falling. But when you become a child of God, no more fear. Psalm 40, verse 41, 10. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed slash depressed. Why downcast, O oh my soul? 
For I am your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you. I will uphold you. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you. That's a nice three-point sermon. And my righteous, with my righteous right hand. Psalm 16, verse 8. I have set the Lord Jehovah, Y-H-V-H. I have set Lord God Almighty always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Meaning to slip or to be taken off course. But that happens to us, doesn't it? We get a little shaky sometimes. I don't know if you're familiar with the milk crate challenge or not. Have you seen the milk crate challenge, anybody? By a show of hands. If you don't know, I'd like to introduce you with a little 30-second video of what it looks like to be shaken. Watch this man's legs in this video. That's happened to every one of us in the spirit, hasn't it? You know when that happens? When you start to fear. You, you, your, your legs get a little wobbly. Your legs get a little shaky. Maybe not physically, but you're shaken. You're shaken. And then you start to try to move without the presence of God in your life. Boom! A man bounced hard. He didn't bounce at all, really, to be honest with you. He just kind of splatted. I've been there. When you, let, when you let a spirit of fear, I have not given you a spirit of fear, says the Lord, but a power and a love and a sound mind. You will not be shaken. If there's something in your life right now that is causing you to shake in your boots, reject it. God is not the author of fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. There should be no fear in you. Well, they don't know they're going to lose my job. I'll lose my kids. I'll lose my home. God knows everything. We covered that in point one about you. He knows everything, including what makes you afraid. So don't be afraid. You are his child. You hide behind him. He'll take care of it. Even when you do something stupid, don't stand out there think, continue. Well, I made a stupid mistake, I guess. No, you just come back and hide in the, hide in the shadow of the almighty. I got stupid and I, and I ticked off when I was a little kid. I ticked off a neighbor boy who was bigger and stronger than me. His name is Tony Chaneller, and I did some stuff I shouldn't have done. I, hand to heaven, I wasn't right. But, you know, he's coming after me. He could run like the wind. I was a pudgy little kid. He could run like the wind. He was going to beat the holy crap right out. Excuse me. He was just going to beat me up really bad. He was going to beat me up really bad. And I, I get to my house in time, and I, and, and, and I don't get the door open in time. And he's, he's making a beat. And my mom comes out. What's going on, boys? Where do I go? I hide behind my mom. Mom, Tony's going to beat me up. Tony's going to beat me up. My mom, Tony. She gave him a tongue lashing right there on the spot. I was wrong, but I know where to hide. I was wrong, but I knew where to hide. When you're wrong, don't stand out there. Come back. The church is a place where you can say, you know what? I did screw up, but I'm going to try this again. The problem with churches are is when you do screw up, you say, I don't want to go back there because all those people, they're going to judge me. Well, that's on you. And it could have been because you got yourself in a church at one time that when you did admit to the fact that you did something stupid, they go, oh, like they'd never done anything. You know, it's like, what? Well, I thought it was supposed to be a place where we didn't kill those who were wounded. I thought we'd nurture those people back to health, right? 
So we try again. Let's do this again. Let me help you up. Yes, well, isn't that how you're going to teach your kid to ride a bike? They fall off their bike. You stupid. Kick the bike, snap it in half, throw it away. I guess you're never going to learn to ride a bike. I just fall off the bike. No, you say, come on. Come on. Get back on. You're going to be okay. We'll put some, something on your boo-boo, on your owie. We'll get you going. And then you run alongside. I'm getting ahead of myself in connect, grow, and go. But this is what the church should be, right? Right? Number three, number one, Lord's watching over you. Number two, you're no longer a child of fear. Number three, I like this a lot. Strength and courage is your new DNA. Strength and courage is your new DNA. You ever heard the phrase, oh man, that's a tough act to follow? You ever heard that phrase? Somebody in front of you does a fantastic job. Maybe they're going to do a presentation or you're doing a, 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 like a variety show or there's some sort of litany of people that do things and you come after the person who just did a very, very good job and you say, oh, that's going to be a tough act to follow. You know whose mantra that was? Joshua. Moses. Moses out of the river Nile, goes up to the Pharaoh, delivers the people of Israel, comes through the Red Sea, and then dies. And here's Joshua. <laughs> Moses, stand still if you're not. The salvation of the Lord. You know, what was the actor's name? Uh, Charlton Heston. You know, his staff and his robe and his beard. And then Joshua, ha, 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 Joshua. Well, that's what, how he saw himself. So watch this. Verse one of Joshua one. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses, my servant is dead. Newsflash, I already knew that. Now then, you and all the people get ready to cross the Jordan River. I'm about to give you and the Israelites and I'll give every place where you set your foot. As I promised Moses, your testimony will extend from the desert of Lebanon to the great river Euphrates and the Hittite country and the great sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. What is happening in that moment is Joshua is getting a dose of the Holy Ghost. He is getting his new DNA. Watch, verse 6. The Lord says to him, be strong and courageous. I want you to look to your neighbor, to your left, to your right. If you're not next to someone, look behind. And I want you to look at him right in the eye and tell him, be strong. Tell them, be strong and courageous. Look at somebody else. Find somebody else to say it. I'm looking at you now, Daryl. Be strong and courageous. I'm looking at you, Joni. Joni, be strong and courageous. Chris Lee, radiation, halfway through your radiation. Way to go, buddy. Be strong and courageous. Every one of you, you have, no, you have no reason to be strong and no reason to be courageous because you've done nothing. You've only watched other people be strong and courageous. You watched Moses all your life, and now the Lord is stepping up to you, and he's saying it's your time. Be strong. Be courageous. Well, my mom, she used to be the pillar of faith in our family, and she's dead. My dad and my husband and my wife, my kids, nobody left. It's just me. It's your time to shine. Be strong. Be courageous. When you're a child of God, he's watching over you. He's always with you. 
and he gives you a new DNA. And the DNA is to be strong and courageous. In fact, after verse number six, where he says, be strong and be courageous, for you will lead these people in here, and I swore to you, your fathers will give them. The very next verse, he says it again. Be strong and courageous. And then in verse number nine, be strong and courageous. He had to say it to him three times. So if one little sermon of me reminding you to be strong and courageous is not enough, download this thing and listen to it twice more. Or write it on a three-by-five card and put it on your refrigerator. Because everybody around you, including the media, is not telling you to be either of those things. They're telling you, be afraid. Be very, very afraid. You are weak. You are frail. And we will... <laughs> we, are, we are by nature counter-cultural. Human cells normally contain 23 pairs of chromosomes. Check this out. Then, of course, you got that XX thing and that XY thing that determines all of the same, all 22 are the same, except that last one, you either have an X, you either have the, the XX or the XY, depending. That's in the natural. But in the, I'll show you the DNA for the spiritual person. Watch this. Somebody gets born again, boom! They're neither male nor female. Just the cross of Christ. For we are, Ephesians 5.30, members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bone. You cut me open, I'll bleed just like any other human being. But inside of me, I am Christ in me, the hope of glory. Christ in me. For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. That's why you fear nothing. The greatest fear people have, right after public speaking, <laughs> the number one fear, fear of death. Fear of death, I don't want to die. My wife and I were talking about this. She goes, I don't much care to die. It's just the, how they're going to kill me that I don't really care for, you know what I mean? Or however it is that I die. But watch this. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their, he's talking about Jesus, he shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, verse 15, and free those, that's us, those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. So if I can conquer a fear of death, there's nothing you can do to me that would make me afraid, that would give me the shaky leg. <laughs> Unless I forget who he is and who he is in me and I start listening to all the other noise around me and I, you know, I'm, I'm not listening listen to what the word of God has to say anymore. I'm, I'm watching Netflix more than I'm listening to the spirit of God or Christian music or trying to fill my heart with what Jesus is doing or listening to sermons or podcasts and, and trying to get the word of God in me. I'm listening to all this other stuff and what happens is all that garbage comes in and garbage in, garbage out. Fill me with Jesus. That's what's gonna come out when you poke me. So number three, Strength and courage are your new DNA. <laughs> Number four, you receive a deep peace of your heart and mind. Philippians 4, 7. And the peace of God, which transcends, this word means, when something transcends, it means it goes over and above. So the peace of God, which goes, well, you can't even get your mind around it, it transcends. It's so awesome. This thing called the peace of God, it transcends all understanding. 
And that peace then guards your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I have a peace, which is an internal persuasion. Why do I have an internal persuasion? Because I have a set of core values that determines my behavior that creates a culture in my life, in my home, in my family, wherever I'm at. In the wingspan of my existence, within the six feet of my life, everyone I go, I take this culture with me because I have a core value that creates a behavior that then predict, that, that creates, when, when someone comes into my bubble, they, they get to experience this, this culture of honor. That's why people wanted to be with Jesus, especially the sinners. This peace of God that guards your hearts and mind. You can have peace regardless of where you're at, no matter what your circumstances is. When the government's out of control, when leaders make ungodly decisions, when your governor becomes a tyrannical autocrat with dictator tendencies. You can be at peace when you lose your job, when your marriage gets shaky, when your kids go crazy and the mother-in-law has to stay for a couple weeks. You still have peace. Isaiah 26.3, this is God speaking. He says, you will keep in perfect peace those whose mind is set on you. You want perfect, who wants perfect peace? I want perfect. Then those whose mind is set on you. What do you, where does your mind go? When you're sitting there in the chair, in the living room, we're, oh, or the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pasture. He makes me, makes, I don't think he made me do anything. He makes you lie down in green pasture. Sometimes he makes you lie down in green pastures. It didn't go over very well. I was visiting a guy in the hospital once. I told him that. He was there and he had a heart attack. Uh, it wasn't you, Jeremy. Um, uh, he was laying, he was laying, uh, <laughs> there's nobody in this room. And, and the Lord just reminded me, he goes, he makes you lie down in green pastures. Sometimes the Lord just brings you to a place. He just snaps the slack right out of your chain. You ever had the Lord do that to you? Like, like I'm seeing a dog run to the end of the chain and all of a sudden he gets, ah! I've been there. The Lord has slacked the jerk or slapped or jerked the slack. There it is. Jerked the slack right out of my chain more than once. More than once. He said, Eric, I'm going to make you lie down in green pastures. Green pastures. I'm glad he doesn't make me lie down in the desert somewhere. Does this relax? Make you lie down. Where does your mind go in those moments? If you're consumed with worry and consumed with fear, put your mind on him and you will find peace. Like a river attendeth my way, wrote the man, it is well with my soul over the very spot in the ocean where his wife and kids died on the previous journey over the Atlantic. That's who wrote that song, it is well with my soul. He sent his wife and kids ahead and that ship went down, and on his way to America, he told the captain he wanted to know where that ship went down. And when the ship was over that location, the captain told him, and he went to the rail of that vessel that he was on, and he wrote, it is well with my soul. When sorrows like sea billows roll, 
whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. How do you have that? Because you have an internal persuasion of your eternal destination, because you have a set of core values that dictate your behavior, and whether or not your wife dies or doesn't, you still are, will honor the Lord with all of your life. You can have peace when your friends forsake you. Jesus knew that. You can be at peace when you're wrongfully persecuted. Jesus knows that feeling. You can be at peace when being put to death. Jesus knew that feeling because the world didn't give it. The world can't take it away. I've got a peace. I got peace like a river. I got songs. I got stacks on stacks of songs. If the world doesn't give it, the world can't take it. But if your peace is because now you finally got your life insurance policy or you finally got the security system for your home or you finally got the job that you needed to get or your kid finally da 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 Listen, all those, are, all those are subservient. All those are secondary, tertiary places of peace. But the ultimate peace, if all that all falls apart, needs to be in the Lord God and his promises and his word, the cross of Christ lifted over your life. I want to show you a picture of a martyr. His name is Thomas Hawks. I want to tell you his story to close today. Thomas Hawks came from a respectable family. This is from a while back. Remember I brought in a page from the original Fox's Book of Martyrs? Remember the Fox's Book of Martyrs? If you're unaware of that book, you should try to get a copy of it. You can get abridged copies and paperback really inexpensively. But the language is a little bit... Um, King James-esque because of when it was first written, but they chronicle the first 1,500 years, 1,600 years of Christianity and those who died for their faith. Thomas Hawkes came from a respectable family in England serving as a page in the court of King Edward VI. He was known as a handsome man with gentle manners, and when he became of age, he entered into the service of the Lord of Oxford, where this is in the year 1555. So if you're on a check, you know, history timeline, 1517 was the Reformation. Door of Wittenberg, Martin Luther, Germany said to the Pope, I'm done with all of that stuff, all the extra things you packed around that. Christ alone, Jesus alone, grace alone, faith alone, for him alone, for his glory, that's it. Then the Protestant, Protestant, that's why we're called Protestants, because we protested. The Protestant Reformation began in 1517. This man that we're talking about is in 1555. So 30, 30 years later, after the Reformation. He's now given his life to Christ by faith alone, in Jesus alone, by grace alone. He's come away from the Catholic Church, said, no, 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 this is where I'm headed. So here's what happens. When the King Edward died, religion in the area changed, Catholics ruled, and the Protestants began to be persecuted and in great danger from the Catholic Church. Hawks, having turned his heart to follow Jesus, leaving the Catholic religion, left his job of prestige serving in the courts of Oxford rather than to have to change his faith. So he's in the courts of the king. He says, I'm obviously not going to be welcomed here. I'm going to leave all of this beautiful regalia, and I'm going to go back to my peasant life. Upon leaving his position, he went back to his own home, However, having married while in Oxford, a son was born to him not long after he had returned home. He did not want to have his child I mean, baptized by the Catholic priest, so he refused the baptism. 
He refused to have his child baptized. Parent right, right or wrong, that should be the parent's choice, not the government, a la Catholic Church, because they were the government, right? So, the, the, so here's what happens. His enemies, on hearing that he did not want to have his child baptized, and he, 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 he uh, refused the baptism of his child for three weeks. His enemies, on hearing this, had him brought before the magistrate and charged him, here's the charge, with unsound parent, I mean, unsound religion. They charged him with unsound religion. So, after the arrest and the hearing, uh, he was sent to prison, sent to London, tried before the Bishop of London, being unable and, and unwilling to recant, Hawks said, I believe in Christ alone, by faith alone, by grace alone. The bishop placed him as a prisoner in the house gate of Westminster. Now he's in prison in Westminster in England because he didn't want to have his child baptized Catholic. During Hawks' imprisonment, he was tortured. Various attempts were tried to make him recant of his Protestant ways, but all attempts proved useless. Hawks constant answer to those who spoke to him on this subject was, quote, I am no changeling, close quote. When responding to the Bishop of London, he urged him to give up his faith, and he said, no, my Lord, I will not do that, for if I had a hundred bodies, I would suffer them all to be torn in pieces rather to, than abjure and to recant my faith. I mean, wouldn't it be so easy? Yeah, dunk my kid. Splash my kid with some water. I want to live. He said, no, I'm not. I have a set of core values. And these core values now are going to make my, my behavior. And that behavior is going to produce s- some culture in my family. But even if Christ doesn't do what I think he should do, because I know my core values are right, and I know my behavior is right, even if he doesn't do, even if God doesn't do what I think he should do, I'm okay with that. Unwilling to renounce, they passed the awful sentence of death upon Thomas Hawks by death by flames. To this, he firmly replied that he would rather suffer death than abdicate his faith in the one true gospel. While in prison, awaiting to be taken to the stake and be burned, Hawks was allowed to see his friends. They asked him if it would be possible for him to give them some sort of sign, a token to show that a man could indeed suffer the martyr's flames without losing his faith and despairing. Hawks promised, quote, by the help of God to show them that the most terrible torments could be endured in the glorious cause of Christ and his gospel, the comforts of which were able to lift the believing soul above all pain and injuries that any man could inflict. So I will give you a sign to show you that a human being can endure anything if Jesus, if he has Jesus in his heart. It was then agreed between them and him that if the pains of burning were bearable, that the martyr should lift his hands towards heaven before he died as a signal to his friends that they could endure. And so it was on the following morning, April 10th, 1555, Thomas Hawks was led to the place of his execution where he mildly and patiently prepared himself for his death by fire, being fastened to the stake with a strong chain about his middle. He addressed the multitude of onlookers, including his accusers, appointing out the sin and the dreadful consequences of shedding the blood of innocence. 
After Hawks had made his final prayer, pouring out his soul before God, the flames were then kindled. Kindled around him so that they blazed with such fierceness that one's speech could not be heard for the flame's intensity of sound. As the fire burned a long time, Hawk's skin melted and then was drawn tight together. His fingers were consumed with fire and having not moved, the people thought him dead. Then suddenly, and contrary to all expectations, Thomas, mindful of the promise that he had made his fellow believers in Christ, raised both his hands, still burning with flames, high above his head, as as if in an ecstasy of joy, clapped his burning hands together three times. And then this, the blessed martyr of Christ, sinking down into the fire, gave up his spirit. And a great shout followed this wonderful circumstance. Yeah, number four, you'll receive a deep peace. You can endure anything. When your core values are set, when you set the foundation of your life right. And lastly, it means you'll have a purpose in life. And I could preach a whole sermon on this. Time constrains me, but I want you to know. Every, you want to you know what the purpose of life is? Uh, just go to any bookstore and find an entire wing of the library on how you can find a purpose in life. There's lots of things for you to pour your life in, and I'm not against any of those things. But what's the number one purpose you have in life? Your core value, in your home. What, why? Well, you know, you have your job. You do your job. That's great. But your job gives you finance. So to, <sighs> your job, whatever your job is, your job produces an income to finance your ministry, whatever your ministry is. Yes, it takes care of your home. Yes, it takes care of your kids. But your job is a holy job. It's a righteous job because that's the job gave you to give you the income to fulfill your purpose in life. That's how important your purpose in life is. It is found in Matthew 28, 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. What is your purpose in life? He tells you right there. Go make disciples. Go make fellow apprentices. Reproduce. One of the reasons the church doesn't reproduce itself is because you're not, you're not aware of who you are in Christ. You're embarrassed. You're, you're, you've got shame. You don't have peace. So why would I ever want a carbon copy of that? But when you, when you know who you are in Christ and you have no shame and you aren't embarrassed, yes, you're overweight. Yes, you're missing teeth. Yes, you're bald. Yes, you're pigeon-toed. Yes, you talk weird. Yes, you don't live in a great house. Yes, you drive a nasty car. All that, Who cares? Who cares? Who cares? It's all going to burn. Your purpose in life is to find this peace and then transfer this peace to somebody else. To have a fellow apprentice. Notice I said apprentice, not perfect one. People that I disciple, I say, listen, here's the deal. I'm going to mess you over. I'm going to say something that's not right. I'm going to eventually hurt your feelings. If I haven't told you this lately as your pastor, I'm going to eventually do something wrong. I'm going to eventually hurt your feelings. I'm going to eventually say something that's going to offend you. And then you're going to have every reason to walk away. But walk away from Jesus? No, don't ever. 
And if you're going to walk, go from church to church to church and you find one that they're not going to, they're not going to press you and not going to push you and not have challenge you to have a faith in Jesus, then you, I love 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 you. I love you. Go make disciples. That's what the other four things are there. So the full, to the full, to go beyond by implication, excessive life, beyond measure, super abundant in quality, superior in quality. What is the chief end of man? What is the purpose of man? Question number one, anybody ever do uh, the um, uh, catechism as a kid? What is the chief end of man? What is our purpose in life? That's number one question in the catechism, which you all should be aware of. The answer, our chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's why you're here, to glorify God, to create an environment based on your behavior from a root of core values. So have these core values. Come up with your own in your own life, but let the first one be to live for Christ, to live as Christ. And to die, I'm gonna be in his presence. That's the best thing ever, amen? Stand up with me this morning, hallelujah. What a great day. What a great day of encouragement. What a day. Light shines best in the darkness. These are the best days of the church, ladies and gentlemen. Don't be in fear. You love Jesus, you have a brand new DNA. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. I want to be strong. I want to be courageous. Then those behaviors of strength and courage, those behaviors come from someplace. They come from a set of core values. What's the most important thing to you? Love God, give him honor, and give him glory. Yes, it'd be nice to have that new whatever or that other thing or blah, blah, blah. Make the list, but make, them, make the top of the list start with number two. Number one, give glory and honor to God with all that you do. That's all. Man, I could die after preaching that sermon right there. You should play that at my funeral. That's it. That's why I do what I do. I'm here just to encourage you to do what you need to do. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor yourself. Those are all actions. You can fake the action for a while, but if it doesn't come from a place of who you are, last thing, being a Christian is not what you do. Oh, I'm a Christian. I got to do that. No, no, no. Being a Christian is who you are. That's a set of core values that produce the works. If you think the works are going to produce the core values, you're wrong. That's the epitome of a hypocrite. Have a set of core values with Jesus at the center of your life. His cross lifted up over you and your family and your kids. is it that has the right to tell you what to do? Christ and Christ alone. Father, thank you for your authority in the life of a believer. We put our heart right now, each one of us in this place, we set our life in your hands. We pray for the church in Afghanistan this morning, Lord. Bring comfort bring peace thank you for the reward that they got which is greater than that of Abraham and Moses something far better thank you Lord 
for giving your church in this hour strength and courage. Be strong and courageous. If you've never been to that place at the foot of the cross where that distorted figure comes all together in beauty as that preacher who traveled to Israel to, or to Italy to see that painting, if you've never humbled yourself to see the glorious cross of Christ, let this be the moment right now that you look up to heaven and you see the smile of the heavenly father upon. He's not angry at you. He poured out all of his wrath. He has no wrath left. He took all of that out, poured it out on the cross for you. He loves you. And if you want to surrender your life to him and find peace that passes understanding, just lift your hand to heaven right now. Right here with me as a sign to the Lord. Think about raising your hand. It's the international sign of surrender. I give up, Lord. Not my will, but your will. Father, here we are, undone and broken and needing your strength. And now may the peace of heaven rest upon your life. As you turn from your life of sin and you turn towards him, you will still stumble, you will still fall, but now your feet are sure. The path is narrow. You know the way to walk. Walk there in it, says the Lord, and I will be with you. My rod and my staff will comfort you. And even while your enemies are around you, I'll prepare a feast. Father, we give you our heart. We give you our life. We surrender to you now. And we accept your forgiveness and begin a new life right this second. In Jesus' name. And now may the peace of heaven, may the power of the cross May the name of Jesus be on your tongue. May your eyes look to him quickly. And may your shaken legs be made strong by the power of his might. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. As we conclude this podcast, we want to take a moment to say thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please consider subscribing to receive our weekly podcast on your device. Check out the show notes for links to our website, more information about this message, or to support our ministry. You've been listening to the Destiny Church 217 Podcast, your place for real, relevant relationships.